0: Hello, welcome to the Genius Design Transcends Time podcast, where we gather with leaders and experts from around the globe for a forum on fashion and health. This is your host, Andrea Alexis Smith. Thank you for joining us today. Our guest today is Elaine Bauer. Elaine is a world-renowned French criminologist and former security advisor to French Prime Minister Michel Rocard and with almost every new administration since 1988. President Nicolas Sarkozy appointed him to reorganize the French system on security and strategy, focusing on the creation of a National Security Council. Alain is someone I respect for his work against racism, anti-Semitism, and discrimination. Alain is commander of the Legion of Honor. Alain was president of the National Private Security Regulation Council from 2012 to 2017, president of the Strategic Research High Council to the president and prime minister of the French Republic from 2009 through 2019, president of French National Crime Commission from 2003 to 2013, co-president of the Mission for the White Book on Public Security from 2010 to 2011, President of Working Group on Custom Files from 2009 through 2010, President of the Strategic Security Mission to the President from 2007 to 2010, President of the Police Files Control Group from 2006 to 2008, vice president of Francopole since 2009, member of the honorary committee of the International League Against Racism and Anti-Semitism since 2003, former member of the High Authority Against Discrimination from 2005 to 2007, former member of the National Commission for Human Rights from 2000 to 2003, and former vice president of the Sorbonne University in Paris from 1981 to 1988. Elaine is a consultant to the New York Police Department, the Los Angeles Police Department, and the Sûreté du Québec in Canada. He is a member of the OECD Task Force on Charting Illicit Trade, and is member of the Europol Socta's Academic Advisory Group. Elaine is editor of the International Journal on Criminology and member of the advisory board of PRISM Center for Complex Organizations, National Defense University, Washington, DC. Elaine is professor, chair of Criminology at the National Conservatory of Arts and Crafts, chair of the Police Crimes and Sciences at the Security Management MBA, senior fellow at the Terrorist Center of John Jay College of Criminal Justice in New York, senior fellow at the Law and Political Science University in Beijing, an associate professor at fudan University in Shanghai. In today's episode, we talk about fashion and crime and its role in social conditioning and belonging. Elaine shares his unique insight into the focus of today's fashion supply chain and moving forward sustainability for the worker, the community, and the environment. Elaine says the fashion industry should prepare to upgrade our face masks, and this current crisis is the last alarm before the big one and that face masks are here to stay. Elaine, welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you. How do you see the link between fashion and criminology?
1: As surprising it may be, it's a very, very old situation. In fact, criminals, they have their signatures, they have their own fashions. They want to look good or to do something that makes makes themselves special. Other people want to copy them. So, uh, of course, everybody remembers the uh, Faye away, Warren Beatty, movie where she is with a a rifle and a hat, cap, very surprising outfit. And it created a trend and fashion. And you have that with Alphonse Capone with his hat and Borsalino is at the same time fashion mark for a very good hat and a sign for criminals because having a Borsalino means that you are with the mobs. So it's it's a long old story, and uh, it has uh, some effect. For example, if you look at uh, Maya Martin in 1827 and the way she was uh, hairdressed, or when you look at the hat of Franz Müller, who was a very strange and uh, recut hat that he uh, used uh, himself in the 1860, you had immediately immediately a trend, a fashion trend. It creates something glamorous, and of course we have all the gangster rap people. They create their own brands and they have their own way to show. And of course, there's a lot of people who wants to see to be seen with their outfit because they belong to them. So right. it's it's a very long story at the same time to look alike or to become a member of the group or of the gang.
0: Right. Um I think it's especially interesting with Bonnie and Clyde and Faye Denaway, you know, today even we still we still wear berets, pencil skirts, sweaters, we see that look on the runway. And then you're absolutely right. I mean it's it's fabulous. Al Capone and, you know, it's it, it's powerful. It's empowerment. It's people wanting to be noticed. That's that's across. I see that across the line between criminology and fashion. You know, people people have a need to be seen and heard.
1: And sometimes you have also more than fashion, more than the pure silk or, or skirt or t-shirt. What's it written on it? Because it it goes it goes much more on the. Uh, you need to know that not only it looks like it, it is it. And so you have the, some uh, uh, gangster signs, you have some uh, paper, uh, some uh, uh, slogans, you have some uh, very uh, specific uh, way to do things. And for example, FCUK, which of course doesn't mean FCUK, was a part of behaving against the systems, and you have the same thing for the criminals.
0: Right. So people use, they literally use their clothing to communicate a message, literally.
1: To communicate and to belong. Communicate is, I am with this, or I want to be seen like this. And sometimes it's just belonging. It goes more over just the signs and recognitions or tattoos. It's another kind of tattoos, but you can change them.
0: Right, right. So you see that going along with the sign of the times, the the, the fashion and the crime can imitate each other.
1: Yeah, but uh, for example, remember pirates? Pirates they had their own way to be seen as pirates. It was uh, the golden uh, earring, one or two cowboys. They have a way to have the jeans on their boots. Mavericks they wanted to be seen as mavericks. You, they don't just needed to behave like mavericks. You have to be sure that they are what they do and are uh, trying to look alike if they are not courageous or foolish enough to do it. So most of the fashion trends are related to crime or try to use crime as a way to shock people and to make first page, front page.
0: Yes. Yes. A- amazing. Elaine, um, You know, your work with criminology, there's a lot of conversation right now on how we can improve the supply chain in fashion. How do you see criminology playing a role along the supply chain in fashion as far as as sustainability?
1: A lot of fashion brands are trying to save uh, their supply chain or protect uh, the design, protect the trademarks. Uh, There's a lot of fake in the fashion industry. And of course, this is a big, big, big business. The second part, the second part is about how to handle deliveries in between, in in the middle of a crisis, deliveries of very special kind of things or deliveries of new kind of brands, which mean not very Kleenex fashion, but real sustainable fashion, which is another way to handle how you protect the environment, the people, and of course, uh, the way you do not destroy part of uh, the environment you live on. So you can see it on various ways. The first one is, of course, pre- protecting the trademarks. Protecting the trademarks is the first goal of any brand. And this is a lot of money. It's give you more money than uh, drug dealing, for example.
0: Right. So um, do you use AI, your defense and criminology expertise to, do you see that? implementing that kind of technology into the supply chain for a strategic model?
1: First, we are not convinced that AI exists. So I'm not sure that you can put artificial and intelligence in the same words on the same sentence. But it accelerates the way your brain is working and your capacity to understand and follow whatever evidence that can help you discover criminals. But uh, brain is much more important than AI. Brain is that what gives you the hint to, uh, so suddenly discover something, understand something, get your brain working on uh, the little gray cell from uh, Hercule Poirot. And I want here to thanks Agatha Christie to help us work today or Sherlock Holmes with uh, more technical, uh, technical issues. But the brain is a center of any kind of capacity. To understand and discover a criminal activity.
0: Okay, Alan, how about, how about on the supply chain, your work with commodities such as water and electricity? How do you see that going into the fashion industry?
1: Well, first, the fashion industry is using a lot of water and misusing a lot of water and destroying a lot of this uh, resource. So the first thing we are doing is to protect the resource against people who uh, spoil it first by using it, second by polluting it. And this is a very important operation that needs at the same time to explain to those who create fashion that they need to go to sustainability and not to uh, -to day-to-day new products. And the second is also to go to the uh, manufacturer who are polluting the planet by using uh, a very dangerous chemical product and try to uh, reduce the use of chemical products the same way we are trying to reduce the use of uh, children uh, working in the fashion industry.
0: Right. And you see that. And, and do you do work with that? Does, does any of your work in criminology along the supply chain have to do with those commodities and protecting, preventing?
1: Yeah, we, we are using our expertise uh, at the same time, to protect uh, uh, fashion brands for being compelled to explain why they use uh, children or why they use chemicals that are forbidden in uh, their main countries, and to explain to them that they need to be totally aware of what's going on. Second, to check that the manufacturers are not lying to the customer, you know, that the French law is compulsory for for the brands to be sure that from the beginning to the end, Everything is following the French law, not the local law. So no children, no polluting, no use of uh, forbidden products. And of course, this needs a lot of uh, capacities to investigate, especially in the third world. And third, to be sure that the waste is not delivered in Africa or Asia uh, without any kind of protection and without any kind of uh, depollution.
0: Right. Alan how big of a role in in the work that you do you know you know for for government and various other organizations of course I can't talk about this on this podcast how much of your work is geared towards sustainability
1: In fact more and more because there's a lot of liability in sustainability now uh, there's a lot of right. uh, law protecting the environment there's a lot of law protecting the uh, workers there's a lot of uh, laws uh, requesting the uh, corporation to do their job, not only for what they do by themselves, but what they make other people do for them. And of course, even the local governments are now very concerned because public opinion is there, and public opinion requests a lot of improvements in how you protect the worker, how you protect the environment, how you protect the industry, and to make it another partner in life and not uh, somebody who doesn't care.
0: Right. In your line of work, I know everyone's doing this, these huge pivots right now. You know, what are you guys working on if, if you are when something like a health crisis, like right now, an economic one and an environmental one like last year's heat wave in Paris, as far as your line of work goes and how it can be approved and how that might relate to the fashion industry?
1: But in fact, what we know in criminology is a method that can be used in any kind of crisis. Crisis management is a big part of our work because a criminal crisis, a technical crisis, a sanitary crisis, a health crisis, an environment crisis, industrial crisis, economic crisis, social crisis are all the same crisis. It begins by something surprising. It gets you and you are stoned by what's happening. Then you try to find an answer in an old book that was not update for the last 30 years and of course you don't find it you need to answer without knowing or not or try to know without time and you go from uh, to desperation and panic every uh, very fast and then you made every possible mistakes from the beginning to the end so uh, because we learn in counterterrorism we learn in criminal organization we learn fighting on any kind of crisis. We are not surprised by the crisis because we are not prepared for this crisis, but for any kind of crisis. And then we have governments or police organization, counter-terrorism, the same way. First, you need to be prepared. You need to understand and you need to look on what's going on. Second, of course, you need to accept what's in front of you. The French, for example, they have the idea of if you are not prepared for a crisis, a crisis will not look at you and you will be spared. It's magical thinking, but it's the way we are. In the U.S. or Great Britain, we don't discuss the existence of the crisis, but the cost of the crisis. Is it more costly to be prepared or just to repair? We call it pin counting in the industry. And uh, of course, it's very different because you don't have to argue about the crisis is there, but just is it more expensive to prepare or to repair? Now, what we are doing is uh, we are confronting to the first, first, absolutely first, total crisis in the history of the world. We have every crisis at the same time, everywhere. And of course, we are more or less prepared. We have a champion on what to do good, Taiwan. And we have the good and less good and no good at all students that didn't have any masks, didn't have any tests, didn't have any organization, or for the French, had it and destroy it because the last crisis didn't happen. So we decide that because it didn't happen, it will not happen again. So we need to look at what we failed, look at how many people died, and understand that what is happening at the moment is an alarm. It's not the big one. It's not the big right. one. It's a in-the-middle earthquake. It's just to remind you that the big one will happen one day or another. And we need to learn and understand on everything we did bad and wrong. Everything we constructed and destructed because we are forgetting things. Amnesia is the biggest drama in the history of the world because we are not surprised but what's happening. We knew it, but we forgot it.
0: Right, right. So going for, forward, can you tell me a little bit about, the way I, I envision things is that it's all connected. You know, our health is all connected. Our economy is all connected. All of our systems is connect, are connected, like you like you mentioned before. What are you, what are you individually doing as far as the coronavirus work, right? You you know, for prevention and for, you know, what may happen.
1: But first, we were the one who worked 10 years ago to prepare for H1N1, the crisis that we are totally prepared for. And that did not happen. And unfortunately, uh, for the last three or five years, uh, the system that was prepared to handle the crisis was dismantled because it was costing too much, and accountants are great people when they do accounting, when they do politics. It's not the best thing in the world. So accountants decided that it was too expensive to be prepared, so we are not. And at the moment, we are helping electricity, nuclear power, water, waste management, and a lot of industry to survive, especially in the food industry or in the uh, logistics, because uh, we are trying the country to continue to live, to people, to have food, water, electricity networks, even if they are at home, that saved most of our countries at the moment. Then we are now preparing for the next one, and we are trying to explain that we need to learn now for tomorrow, because uh, this crisis was the last alarm before the big one, and we are working a lot on this, especially, and we need fashion and uh, fashionistas to be on board because they have a great influence on people. We need a lot of fashion for masks. Masks need to look nice. Masks need to look good. Masks need to look breathable. Masks need to be something normal. A French doctor, Charles Lorme, invented it in 1649. Everybody had a mask because they wanted to survive to the... The, uh, the plague? Uh, we had so many new medical drugs, so many new improvements in the medical thing that... We forgot the mask and everybody else use it, but not us. In Asia, masks are almost compulsory in life. And we laughed about it before the virus. So now we need to make the masks the new fashion thing. And this will help a lot because people will like to have it if you look nice.
0: Right. They're the icon of our future.
1: Exactly. So I think all the uh, great people who do the shows and go on runways, they need to send us a new trend of mask, even uh, more interesting mask, like uh, transparency mask, where you can see your uh, own uh, face being protected, which is something important for people. But you can find a lot of ways to uh, create masks that look nice and protect you and the others.
0: (laughs) Wonderful. Elaine, I think that's a wrap-up. Elaine is a world-renowned French criminologist and former security advisor to Prime Minister Moshe Rocard, and he says we all need to upgrade our masks in the fashion industry. I think that's a wonderful idea. One one more question. Do you have a favorite fashion designer?
1: I am very open-minded, but uh, I need to say that forever in my mind, Yves Saint Laurent is the one.
0: That's a very, very good choice. Very good choice. Elaine Bauer, thank you for joining us on our podcast today. Once again, this is the Genius Design Transcends Time podcast. Thank you for joining us. Have a wonderful day. Once again, thank you for joining us today on the Genius Design Transcends Time podcast, where fashion and health connect. This is your host, Andrea Alexis Smith. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.